from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. The Koala Moon podcast has revolutionised over 20 million bedtimes with parents like you calling it life-changing and the perfect nighttime routine. With original kids' bedtime stories and cosy sleep meditations, every episode has been specially designed to make bedtimes a dream. Listen to Koala Moon on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Hi, I'm Ethan Nadelman, and this is Psychoactive, a production of iHeartRadio and Protozoa Pictures. Psychoactive is the show where we talk about all things drugs. But any views expressed here do not represent those of iHeartMedia, Protozoa Pictures, or their executives and employees. Indeed, as an inveterate contrarian, I can tell you they may not even represent my own. And nothing contained in this show should be used as medical advice or encouragement to use any type of drug. Hello, psychoactive listeners. Today's guest is of a sort of different sort than we normally have. It is Senator Chuck Schumer, the New York State Senator who is currently the Senate Majority Leader, which makes him, you know, basically one of the three most powerful politicians in America, together with Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, and uh, Joe Biden, uh, the President. So I have to say I felt very fortunate uh, to be able to get Senator Schumer on psychoactive, but he was willing. And I think it's interesting that in the midst of everything else that's going on in the country with debt limits and infrastructure bills and uh, uh, voting rights and a host of other issues, that for the Senate majority leader to take the time to talk about marijuana is a bit stunning. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk with him and also to find out more about what's going on from his perspective about how marijuana reform proceeds at the congressional level. 
Now, most of you will already know that the notion of legalizing marijuana, not just for medical purposes, but more broadly, is widely popular in the United States now. The polls show be 60, 70 percent of Americans saying it's time to legalize it, to legally regulate marijuana. 18 states, I think it is now, have legalized marijuana, including a whole bunch earlier this year. 37, I think, have legalized medical marijuana. Uh, so there's huge support for this stuff. You know, it seems like this momentum is going to be hard to stop. The question people keep asking is, what about the federal government? What about Congress? Are we going to see an actual federal legalization of one sort or another? Now, we know that Congress is always the last to move when it comes to drug policy. You know, it starts with ballot initiatives, then goes to state legislatures, then eventually gets to Congress. And we're in a challenging moment because, unfortunately, for us drug policy reformers, the president, Joe Biden, is among the worst Democrats when it comes to embracing either marijuana reform or broader drug policy reform. He's kind of a dyed-in-the-wool old drug warrior. And so that is definitely one of the obstacles to moving forward. Now, most of the action on marijuana reform has been, in fact, almost all of it so far, has been in the House. You know, when I was running Drug Policy Alliance going back 15 years ago, every year we were trying to get some amendment to basically have the federal government approve medical marijuana. But then things began to move a lot more quickly in recent years, but it's almost all on the House side. So, I mean, there's all sorts of bills out there, some introduced by Republicans, many more by Democrats. As you would expect, there's sort of a partisan divide here with Democrats much more sympathetic, but a handful of Republicans also being relatively good on this issue, while some Democrats remain bad on the issue. The two big bills that have been moving out of the House, one is something called the Safe Banking Act. And the Safe Banking Act basically is a bill intended to allow marijuana businesses to basically access regular federally registered banks, to allow them to, you know, get credit from banks, to allow customers to use credit cards, you know, all of this sort of thing. And everybody agrees it's important to get this passed. I remember years ago at a forum in Denver, Colorado, and former Governor Hickenlooper from Colorado, now the senator, was asked, what's the most important thing the federal government can do? And he said to just clean up this whole banking issue because our folks in the marijuana industry are at risk by having to be so cash intensive. They're getting ripped off by criminals. You know, this is not good for customers. I mean, customers have to pay with cash. They can't use a credit card. It's raising everybody's expenses. Everybody would benefit from this thing, both the big players in the industry as well as the smaller ones. In the House, the Safe Banking Act has now passed five times, I think it is, typically as a standalone bill. Most recently in the in the spring, I think all of the Democrats, 100 percent voted in favor of it, and even a 51 percent of the Republicans voted in favor of it. And then just last week, Congressman Perlmutter in Colorado got the Safe Banking Act added to the National Defense Authorization Bill, the one that funds the Pentagon, that funds all of America's military. That is something that absolutely has to pass and that generally passes with bipartisan support. This amendment will reduce the risk of violent crime in our communities. By dealing in all cash, these businesses and their employees become targets for robbery, assaults, burglaries, 
and more. Yet at the same time, there is an understandable resistance on the part of many marijuana policy reformers to just letting this one financial piece get fixed, even though it would broadly benefit all sorts of folks, both the big guys and the little guys, while all of the other elements of marijuana reform, from taking it out of the Controlled Substances Act, descheduling it, which is effectively legalization, and all of the restorative justice aspects of this thing, and the expungement of criminal offenses, all these sorts of things. And of course, the leader on this has been Cory Booker the New Jersey senator, who has basically been saying, I don't want to see this Safe Banking Act go through until we're addressing the broader aspects of marijuana reform. I don't know about other members of the Senate, but I will lay myself down to do everything I can to stop an easy banking bill that's going to allow all these corporations to make a lot more money off of this, as opposed to focusing on the restorative justice aspects. Also in the House, last year, they passed something called the Moore Act. A big day for the legalized marijuana movement in America. The U.S. House of Representatives today passed a bill that would decriminalize weed. It's the first time Congress has ever voted on the issue. The bill would also erase nonviolent federal marijuana convictions, but it stands no chance in the Senate, so it will not become law. And the Moore Act is the comprehensive marijuana legalization bill that includes all the key elements of racial and social equity that we saw incorporated in the New York state law and a range of other state laws. It does include the Safe Banking Act provisions, but it includes things like expunging past marijuana offenses. It includes things like providing dedicated funding so that people who have been victimized by the war on drugs or otherwise discriminated against have an opportunity to participate in the legal industry. It tries to give a leg up to the smaller guys trying to enter the industry so the whole thing isn't just overwhelmingly dominated by the big guys. This bill has been out there in Congress for a few years. Last year, almost everybody was shocked by the fact that the Moore Act passed the House and by a fairly substantial margin. I mean, people thought this was going to take years to happen. And when people ask, why did it pass last year? Part of it was that the Democrats had, you know, some margin there, but they got some Republican votes, a handful. It's also the fact that this was in the wake of what happened with George Floyd and the powerful reaction throughout the country to the racism of the criminal justice system. So that gave it a lift. Some people point out the fact that the very powerful congressman from Massachusetts, Congressman Neal, who heads the House Ways and Means Committee, who's not all that sympathetic on marijuana reform, but that he didn't want to be a problem on this issue last year because he was facing a challenge from the left. Uh, so a whole range of variables. Now, this year, the Moore Act is being reintroduced. In fact, I think it's going to be this week, the end of September, when it's going to, the House Judiciary Committee is going to start discussing it. They're going to start marking it up, making some revisions from last year's one. And it's not clear it's going to pass this year. I mean, the Democrats lost a whole bunch of seats in the election last year, so their margin of error is less. Some of the momentum has possibly been lost. So we're going to find out later this year whether their votes are there, whether the Speaker Nancy Pelosi wants to put this thing to the full House to vote on. Assuming it happens, I mean, then the question becomes, what does the Senate do? Now, on the Senate side, Schumer and Senator Booker and Senator Wyden from Oregon, they said they don't want to see this banking stuff move forward without having the broader legalization, or at least some of the broader legalization, and the social equity, racial equity provisions incorporated. So a few months ago, those three senators 
decided to introduce basically a marijuana legalization bill. It's not even a bill, actually. It's just a draft bill and to get comments on it. And there's an understanding that, you know, Democrats have 50 votes, 51 if you count the vice president. I'd say that there's probably no more than 40 of those 50 Democratic senators who are clearly in favor. There's a couple of Republicans, I mean, good old Rand Paul and a few others who are sympathetic to legalization, but sometimes they don't like the broader social and racial equity stuff. So this thing is now out there. This legalization bill, nobody expects it to pass anytime soon. So the question on everybody's mind is, what's going to happen with safe banking? How fast is this broader legalization bill going to pass? Now, Senator Schumer is pivotal. He's the majority leader. He's decided to put his own name on this bill. He's decided to devote the time and energy in the midst of everything else. I've known uh, Senator Schumer a little bit over the years. We've interacted. And I have to say, he was among the worst Democrats, always supporting mandatory minimums, tough on drugs, part of the drug war rhetoric, kind of unapologetic about the whole thing. And he's begun to shift. I mean, actually quite significantly on sentencing reform. He's become an advocate of repealing or reforming the mandatory minimums. But the more remarkable thing is that he stepped forward on marijuana reform. His shift is reflective of a broader shift in the national consciousness and in the consciousness of Democratic politicians. So it was a Sunday morning. He was at home or his office in Brooklyn, a home on the Upper West Side. And us two New Yorkers got on the phone for about 15 minutes where I could ask him all sorts of questions. Hi, Senator Schumer. Hello, Ethan. So listen, I, I know you're busy, only got a few minutes, so I'm just going to jump right in with you, okay? Okay, one sec, one sec. Sure. Yes, Justin. I'm on it. I'm on it. Yeah, it, we'll do it in about 10 minutes. OK. OK, Ethan, we got to get going because I got to be gone by 1130. So, Senator Schumer, thank you ever so much for joining me. So, first of all, I got to ask you, I mean, you're the majority leader. You're dealing with got to raise the debt limit, the hospital, the government shutdown, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, voting rights, Trumpist Republican Party threatening constitutional democracy. Why have you chosen to prioritize marijuana reform this year? Well, first, you know, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, we have to, there's a whole lot that has to be done, but I believe strongly in this uh, mm -hmm. for so many reasons. First, the obvious just uh, view of freedom. You know, when marijuana was first uh, legalized or decriminalized in some of the early Western states, everybody said, oh, you know, the sky is going to fall. Crime will go up. Drug use will go up. Neither of those happened. And the American people realized this, Ethan. So we have much broader support than we have ever had from libertarians, from people who are all over the spectrum. Even South Dakota voted in a referendum mm -hmm. uh, to legalize this year. So that's number one. Number two is just the pain that this brings. I mean, a young man, young woman, usually of color, uh, is caught with a little bit of marijuana in their pocket, and they act like they've been selling a whole lot of heroin half the time because of the overcriminalization of the law. And getting rid of that is very, very important, as well as expunging records. So there's so much justice here. And this is going to take a while. No one thought we'd snap our fingers and get it all done. When Senator Weidenbooker and I introduced the legislation, we called it sort of a study bill. We want to hear people's opinions. And right now we're building support. It's going to take a little while. 
obviously we need to get 60 votes. Right. Okay. Well, this raises an important question. So the Senate, I think, has never voted on marijuana before, but the House has voted a lot on marijuana. And in particular, in addition to the Moore Act, which they approved last year, and they're going to start considering again this week, um, there's the Safe Banking Act, right, that's passed the House five times. Uh, In the spring, 100 percent of Democrats voted in favor. Over half the Republicans voted in favor. Congressman Perlmutter just had added it to the National Defense Authorization Act. So why not let this thing move forward while the long-term process of the legalization bill, uh, you know, needs to work itself through. Senators Booker, Wyden, and I have come to agreement that if we let this bill out, it'll make it much harder and take longer to pass comprehensive reform. We certainly want the provisions similar to the Safe Banking Act in our bill, but to get more moderate people, to get some Republicans, to get the financial services industry behind a comprehensive bill is the way to go. It's the right thing to do. Is, is comprehensive reform. That's what we believe in. All the pain that's been suffered by so many people for so long will not be alleviated because banks can now do some funding of uh, the growing and processing of marijuana. And so we think that the quickest way to get it all done is do it together. If you let just the banking provisions pass, it'll make it much harder to get more Republicans and more conservatives on the bill. We're trying to create a coalition for comprehensive reform. So l- let me play a bit of devil's advocate here because I'm, I'm torn on this issue myself. But in point of fact, right, you know, the legalization thing, I mean, the more act going through the Congress last year, it was almost like a magical moment where everything came together and even the activists yep. were surprised it went through so fast. So the question here is, you know, I hear people say, well, it's going to be the fat cats, the big guys who are going to benefit the most from safe banking. And dollar-wise, that's true. But proportionally, is probably the little guys, including some of the ones we want to help through all the social racial equity stuff who are going to benefit. Isn't there a maneuver here where perhaps safe banking gets combined with some elements of your legalization bill? Ethan, we would look at that if we could, you know, I mean, we have said our bill's a study bill and we're looking for suggestions and changes. And certainly, you know, we're not saying the bill has to be exactly as is, but to just allow the banking bill through I think is going to hurt. I hear you. Is there a way through this whole National Defense Authorization Act to add on some of the social equity, the expungement, those sort of provisions to the safe banking thing when you guys get to conference committee? Well, it's it's you know, look, everything should be explored, and if people on in in the Senate can add some things on, that would make it more of a palliative. But again, um, I think I don't want to bargain against myself here. We need comprehensive reform. That's what we need. We need we need legalization and um, we're going to fight hard that way Uh, with our friends in the banking industry who want to fund things. We get that and we're we're fine with that. And I agree some of that would flow, by the way. But if you don't have real provisions in the bills um, that make sure that funding, wherever it comes from, whether it's through taxes and government or through banking, gets to the communities who are hurt the most, you know, the way water goes downhill and it's going to go to all of the easy, fat cat, more well-to-do people. So you got to be really careful about that. That's true. But the fat cats do have better access to capital and they're better able to work around this stuff. They do. They do. Look, I'm not arguing against the specifics. I'm just telling you that it's my view that if we, if we are in range of getting comprehensive reform and we're making great progress, and remember, as majority leader, I can determine what's put on the floor. McConnell said he'd never put a, a legalization or decriminalization bill on the floor. I will when we get the votes and build the coalition. 
Yeah. And the Banking Act will be part of that coalition. Right. But you got a lot of recalcitrant Democrats. I mean, you look at it's not just Feinstein who's always been terrible on this stuff. But you got Manchin, you know, you got uh, you got Tester in Montana, you got the New Hampshire, all of them. Right. Ethan, this isn't going to pass unless we get bipartisan support. And I would urge your listeners, you know, these days, Republicans are more open to this. You heard what I said about South Dakota before. But you got the libertarian folks on board. Yeah, 60, what is it, 68% of Americans are in favor of legalization. Don't think because people from, st the certain senators from some states were opposed two years ago that they might not be able yeah. to be with us now. Well, well, Senator, so I got to ask you this question. You know, I remember years ago, you and I talking, I was always kind of frustrated because I saw you as a kind of, you know, knee-jerk, pro-mandatory minimum, a little too sympathetic to the drug war. But on marijuana, even many years ago, you seemed kind of softer, more open-minded on this. And I have to ask you, apart from the broader rational issues to be against marijuana prohibition, I mean, you started college in the late 60s, early 70s. What was your experience with marijuana back then? Were you somebody who smoked occasionally in your younger years? No, you know, I never smoked smoke marijuana myself. Never, ever. Ever, ever. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I <laughs> believe that just because I didn't, I want to, this is, people should make their choices and not have the government, particularly in a crazy yeah. legal system and criminal justice system, uh, impose it. Well, damn, I mean, Senator, I, I must say, I mean, you know, I was in the minority at college who didn't smoke it, although more people didn't than you think. We were once at dinner table at senior year and somebody said, you know, I never I never smoked weed. And a bunch of people at the said, me either, me either. But a lot did. Don't get me wrong. Well, now you're living in the one state where it's legal to walk down the street or the sidewalk and light up a joint and the cops can't bust you. So uh, yeah. the opportunity yeah. is still there. And, you know, the biggest increase. But in I was always sympathetic. You're right. I was always sympathetic to the legalization decriminal. But now a majority leader. That's why I put in the bill. I, I, know I, I, the I understand to this and move it. And I'm going to put a lot of effort into this. I know we have other things to do in the next month or so. This is going to be a longer campaign than that. But I'm going to keep working at it till we get it done, Ethan. We'll be talking more after we hear this ad. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. I'm Abby, a mother of two, and I had these battles myself. Endless excuses, delay tactics, and many tears and tantrums, but I've created a solution. The perfect kids podcast that makes bedtime a dream. It's called Koala Moon and it's hosted by me, Abby. With over 300 episodes packed with original stories and sleep meditations, Koala Moon makes bedtimes easy and enjoyable. Episodes start out engaging and really rather magical, but as they progress, they gently slow to a calm and relaxing pace to have your little ones out like a light. Since launching in 2022, Koala Moon has helped with over 20 million nights sleep and received over 6,000 five-star reviews. Win back your evenings. Listen to Koala Moon now on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids, where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Callie, what do you say? It was. And that time when we did the science experiments and Billy made raisins dance. That is so cool, Billy. He did. <laughs> Not to mention when a certain Elliot took up swimming classes with Lisa. That was me! <laughs> Bet you can't catch me. I'm going to catch you. All this fun and more in our Stories for Kids. Lingo Kids Stories for Kids is now available on StoryButton, the kid-friendly device for screenless podcast listening. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. There's an op-ed in the Daily News today from some guy who just got out of prison out of 30 years. And he says, look, here's an opportunity. Schumer can move forward on the broader sentencing reform. You know, that first step act that reduced mandatory minimums, now we can make it retroactive. Is that going to happen sometime soon? Well, I can't tell you that. I've supported the first step act and I've supported, I've encouraged, I'm for the Justice and Policing Act, which Mm -hmm. would deal with, you know, the racism and uh, discrimination that's been in law enforcement for so long. And I'm also, um, I am also for lots of different provisions uh, that would take the First Step Act uh, further, absolutely. Do you have regrets about some of the mandatory minimums you supported years ago? Look, you know, the world's changed, Ethan. Crime yeah. was a huge issue back then. It was tearing the communities apart. It was dividing people. The world changed. And, um, you know, you have to change with it. Uh, Right now, those laws uh, are far too restrictive and should be changed. Even then, I was for an escape valve where people could make an appeal away from a mandatory sentence. Mm -hmm. But Newt Gingrich took that out of the bill. Okay, well, here's a question for you then. Everybody's freaking out with understandable reasons now about fentanyl. But some of what the politicians are doing from the Biden administration, it's almost bipartisan, is reacting to fentanyl the same way we did to crack 30 years ago, with a total freakout, enhanced penalties, mandatory minimums, you know, criminalize first, ask questions later. So the question is, we know that mandatory minimums don't really work here. We know that most of the people being caught up in those things are low-level people. Sometimes they don't even know fentanyl's in what they're selling. They're They're majority black and brown. Can we be assured that whatever happens with fentanyl coming out of the Congress is not going to include mandatory minimums? Look, we have to learn. We have to learn from our experience and we have to draft these things carefully and not panic. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. 
And when it comes to the Republicans, I remember, you know, good old Rand Paul was one of the first Republicans out in favor of this thing. And I'm kind of disgusted with his support for Trumpism these days. Yeah, for a guy who's a libertarian to support Donald Trump is pretty I, it's, it's contradictory. Despicable. It's absolutely it's despicable, you know. On the other hand, I look at a guy like Grassley, who was a real drug war dinosaur years ago, but now it looks like he and Durbin have almost become a team in trying to move forward some sensible reform. I mean, how do you understand Grassley's transition in this? The world is changing. And as mentioned earlier, crime was rampant back in the 90s, and um, it is no longer. There are also a lot better ways to deal with criminalization. I'm trying to put into this uh, reconciliation bill community alternatives to violence. It's a very important thing to do. And, you know, we learn. We learn how to do things better and smarter and more humanely as you go forward. And we have to learn in in many of these ways. Okay, last question. So, you know, the one thing that was heartbreaking to me in the Democratic primaries, I mean, obviously, I support Joe Biden. I wanted to be a great president. But he was the worst of all the Democrats in the uh, in the primaries on these marijuana issue, on broader drug issues. He seems like almost like Feinstein, sort of stuck in the mud, all drug warrior, not sympathetic to legally regulating marijuana, slow on sentence reform. Have you talk to him about these issues anytime this year? Do you get any read from him? Yeah, I look, he's been preoccupied with a lot of stuff, but I am going to lobby him heavily on this issue. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've had a few conversations, but not many, but it, it will increase. Mm-hmm. Okay, Senator. Well, listen, I really appreciate your taking the time. You know, please do whatever you can to save the world from the threats to constitutional democracy from Republican Trumpism. We're trying, man. We're fighting the fight. We got many fronts we're fighting on, but God gave me a lot of energy, so I'm firing away. <laughs> and I do appreciate your stepping out and your leadership on marijuana reform. It's Thank been you. bold. You were there for some years now. It makes a real difference. Thank you, Senator. Thanks, Ethan. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Psychoactive is a production of iHeartRadio and Protozoa Pictures. It's hosted by me, Ethan Nadelman. It's produced by Katja Kumkova and Ben Kiebrick. The executive producers are Dylan Golden, Ari Handel, Elizabeth Gieses, and Darren Aronofsky for Protozoa Pictures, Alex Williams and Matt Frederick for iHeartRadio, and me, Ethan Nadelman. Our music is by Ari Belusian. And a special thanks to Avivit Bar-Yosef, Bianca Grimshaw, and Robert Beatty. If you'd like to share your own stories, comments, or ideas, please leave us a message at 833-779-2460. That's 1-833-PSYCHO-0. You can also email us at psychoactive at protozoa.com or find me on Twitter at Ethan Nadelman. And if you couldn't keep track of all this, find the information in the show notes. Next week, we'll be talking with Leonard Picard, who allegedly was the greatest producer of illicit LSD in world history, spent 20 years in a maximum security prison, and somewhat miraculously was released just this year. Your reputation as being the biggest or one of the biggest producers of LSD in global history Can you say, well, yep, that's true? Or are you in a position where it's really hard to, you know, own that at this point? Or whether maybe it's actually factually not true? Well, the government's um, primary witness stated that the lab he alleged uh, I was responsible for uh, produced about a kilogram a month uh, for 20 years. But of course, that (laughs) to me is uh, quite fanciful. But uh, I do remain under federal supervision, and uh, I must maintain my uh, position uh, under oath at federal trial that 
the allegations are, are merely uh, government uh, conjecture. Subscribe to Psychoactive Now so you don't miss it. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Parents, if you've ever experienced bedtime battles with the kids, I'm going to let you into a little secret. The Koala Moon podcast has revolutionised over 20 million bedtimes with parents like you calling it life-changing and the perfect nighttime routine. With original kids' bedtime stories and cosy sleep meditations, every episode has been specially designed to make bedtimes a dream. Listen to Koala Moon on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.